Aloha Maui Nui. Hello, this is Josh Porter. Jason Burkhart. Brian Thomas. Nice pacing there, guys. Uh, this, <laughs> this is the Solar Coaster, episode 142. We're going to continue with our Las Vegas CES 2020 coverage, talking about something that we all love so much, food. <laughs> food. Uh, we actually, it's kind of surprised me out in Vegas. Uh, they have, you know, all these media events and then, of course, Impossible Foods, which is the company that uh, launched a partnership with Burger King recently. Uh, they had this event where they were launching their pork product, right? And they had pork katsu and pork uh, bowel sandwiches and and uh, like a noodle thing. And it was all related to pork. So they, they had, they, they, they booked out this, you know, huge thing in the Mandalay Bay. A huge restaurant, and they um, they basically had a conference, and then they launched their product, and we get a chance to speak with some of the scientists, not the PR people, not the CEOs and visionaries, and all the guys that have the big uh, you know the glamour shots, but a scientist that helped develop the technology. I found it really fascinating. You might want to ask why are we talking about food? Well, it turns out that food is the number one contributor to GHGs or agriculture, livestock, number one contributor to GHGs, uh, biggest. Uh, climate change culprit out there uh, above the power sector, above Transpo, right? Uh, so it is very relevant to, uh, you know, the, the, the world that is uh, coming upon us. So much so that we just discovered, we were talking here, that Minute Stop is actually kind of carrying impossible foods. And if you didn't know it, it apparently they're not carrying the meat, any, regular meat anymore. <laughs> on the cutting edge. Who would have thought Minute Stop on Maui? <laughs> Jay, have you tried it yet? No, I haven't, I haven't been there at all. <laughs> okay, how about you, Brian? Uh, not recently. I mean, they had some fish tacos a while back. Right. So, uh, Did you try the Impossible Food I version? have not. You have, have not. not? Okay. So I had it last night, just to be clear. Really? And I had a meatloaf. And, uh, you know, hey, we were walking through Makwa. We tried it. I was so surprised. Like, yes, yeah, so we're going to do the show on tomorrow, Julia. Right. You know? And then so we bought it, and we walked down the street, and we ate it. And I was like, that tastes like meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even detect any difference whatsoever. So we're um, going to talk about um, Impossible Foods, and we're going to get into the tech behind that, which is going to be fun. Another company called Grove and GroveTech.com, you can check them out. They are doing um, basically like these high-tech farms that allow uh, the, the very efficient production of either feedstock for, uh, for, for uh, the meat industry or actually produce, right? So you can have get rid of the shipping, get rid of all that, you know, all the, the problematic aspects of getting food around the world, and you can do it right there in your in your town, right? And they have, they're pretty interesting tech. By the way, Jay, I don't know if you noticed, but they invited us to come out to Salt Lake City and uh, tool around their, their first couple of city block size uh, farms. So that can be kind of fun. Nice. Sound, sounds, like, sounds like a plan. Are those the guys that sold their little greenhouse, like right off the show floor? No, that actually is another that's company. A, that's a different. That's so, another group. I mean, that, it was just so much activity in the space. It was really hard to keep track. It was hard, and that was My Foods. And My Foods did uh, yeah. kind of more of a residential greenhouse. We'll probably air that at a later date. A little right. tough to get through all of it yeah. today, uh, but very cool company as well, French company. And they did. They sold their display booth, which was like this hydroponic thing, right <laughs> off the show. Floor. I want it. I'm taking. I'm taking this right now. <laughs> it was some fancy <laughs> restaurant in Vegas, you know. Okay, so we sure. got we got a lot to jump into. Some good news and events too. You guys ready to get into it? Let's do this. Always. Here we go. Hey, folks, this is the Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. It can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. on Oi 1110 a.m. Also, some FM stations 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM of Country. www.solar-coaster.com is your central source for listening live if you're out of our broadcast area. Checking out all our old shows, uh, or most importantly, right now is getting a link to the YouTube channel, which just keeps coming <laughs> you've got so many videos coming out of ces and vegas and all the uh, all the interesting tech uh but real realistically the most important thing is all that that archive of older older material so if we've talked about um an area of interest uh for you and renewable energies just go back and listen to that old show uh we've got all the information for you we also uh appear on podcast networks itunes stitcher tune in iheart and all the uh the above uh kind of carry the solar coaster so just go search for our little uh, blue and orange waveform logo and uh, take us everywhere you go. Got some great sponsors that have helped keep the solar coaster on the tracks. EnduroShield Perfectly Clear Glass. EnduroShield and Perfectly Clear Glass. Uh, really amazing uh, uh, company with this new coating to help improve panel performance. I have that on my home presently. Going to get a chance to test it out. I got to tell you, every time I go in the backyard, I kind of look uh, at my peripheral. I was, I was about oh, to ask you. Oh, what's going on? You know, and I look <laughs> yeah, at the rain, the way it's beating up on the panels, and I kind of try to get a sense. It's a little early right now. I, my panels are brand new. But I mean, there's going to be an opportunity to take a 
look at that those coatings and see how they impact production specifically, but also, you know, what 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 happens when the panels get dirty? Is it clearly a difference, you know? You're gonna see if it yep. still is perfectly clear. That was exactly right. It's a great name. <laughs> Gary's a smart guy. Thank you, Gary. Also, uh, Sundrum Solar uh, and uh, our contributing talent here, Fairwinds Wealth Management, Brian Thomas, in the showroom as usual, getting us a chance to uh, to learn all about the financial industry and the impacts of renewable energy in that. So, okay, let's jump over to news and events, guys. Right away, you sent me this one. The Economist is reporting that Vietnam is grappling with an unexpected surge in solar power. Um, basically, what happened is last year, uh, year before last now, so 2017 to 2017, uh, the government was looking at their overall energy mix and found that they had like nothing like really almost zero. And so they put out a little little uh, call to action, said we will pay for um, nine cents, approximately nine cents for every kilowatt hour produced for big solar farms. And, or, but the, the, the hitch is you have to have it done within the next two years. So at the end of 2019, um, they found themselves with like more than six times the solar that they actually expected. Wow, check that out. And, it, and bigger than Australia, so, they say, right? Bigger, well, it's now bigger than Australia, and, and Australia is a company, a country with, with five times the economic volume, right? So it's a, they've got more energy than a country five times their size, demand-wise. Um, so it was, it was, it was amazing to see that that amount, quick, quick amount of adoption. I think it's, the reason why is because they had they had a, a standard tariff of of like five to seven cents, and all of a sudden they were they were. Um, um, asking nine uh, there's a hitch to this though is that they say they'll only pay for the power they use oh wow <laughs> only they need it's in the in the language of the agreement is that they're only going to pay for the power they actually use from these stations so there's a significant risk um for the investors that that bought into these farms because they may not ever see any power if they, if the country doesn't buy it it's an interesting way to shift that structure and that agreement that they struck. You know, the the risk falls onto the developer side, uh, but yeah. if they if they end up consuming it, then they get to make it. But Vietnam sets their they get a big cash out. Yeah, yeah. Vietnam just sets their price. They don't have to worry about the capex expenditure. I mean, it's kind of smart. You know. Guess it sure. worked. Uh, you know, it, lo it looks to me like that. I didn't <laughs> mention anything about storage in there, um, so I assume that you know maybe some of these systems could be using storage in, in the future. But I mean, it looks like it's probably just a. Uh, you, you you would hope so, but I don't think so. Not not with that fast rollout and and the, the costing that they're talking about. Well, <laughs> if you're sitting there and you've deployed a system and they're only taking like you know twenty percent of the energy, or right? Something, like if, if if all your competitors are feeding in in the daytime and you can feed in at night and make money when they're not, there might be a you may want to look at storage. Point. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's probably a good a good good way to good way to work in, but. Well, in interesting that. problems that are surfacing around the world as a result of, uh, you know, this uh, new energy revolution. What else we got? Um, well, Tesla is making some changes these days uh, because we're, we're now in 2020. Uh, we're 26 percent federal tax credit instead of the 30 percent we've been enjoying over the over the last many years. Um, Tesla has decided to restructure their pricing, and it's not significant, but it is it is something to what you want to be aware of. And they are going in the right direction. The prices are coming down. Um, so Tesla has reduced the number of prices of its products, um, specifically the um, solar panels, not the solar roof. So mm. we want to be, make that very clear that they're talking about their regular panel kits. Um, they sell small, medium, large size. Um, I, li I like the way they do like, that. Like kind of kind of pre-built sets. Well, well, because it's we talk about this a lot that the the cost of client acquisition is is really really difficult to to pay salespeople to wander around to to come to your house to sit down to explain everything to you. I mean, it costs a lot of money for these companies, and then they come out, they have to roll a truck out with the guys who can actually measure the roof and figure out exactly how to do things, and then they go back to the office and they custom design something, right? Um, Tesla just um, has packages. So you're going to get this many panels in this thing and this and this power wall if you add it to your package. And that's and that's it. And this is the price. So I it's like really, it. really streamlined. I like in, it. I like it, way. especially considering, you know, that that complexity of the design process and the choosing the panels process and the, all the different things that we went through over the decade, right? The last decade of, mm -hmm. of putting in solar. It, you know, I guess at that time, maybe because it was so new, it made sense to get better clarity on exactly what you're getting. But you know, Tesla, you either believe in the brand or mm -hmm. you don't. And then yep. I, I need, I, I, hey, my electric bill is this amount in this location. Well, you probably need a, a small, medium, large, or extra large. The extra large is pretty big, 15 
2.2 kilowatts, which is, you know, that's like, what? That's new in their product line, panel, too. 300 watt panels, roughly th- speaking. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they, they actually added that because there was so much demand for it. There seems mm. to be a lot of demand for larger systems, uh, especially in California, where they're they're planning on kind of self-supplying in a <laughs> in a uh, grid grid scenario. Um but that was, that's not the only thing that they're doing. They're also uh, upping their referrals. So through the referral program, uh, Tesla owners can buy, um, if they get news, if they turn somebody onto solar, they get a $250 credit. And also the person buying it gets $250 off. So that's, that's kind of cool. They, they <laughs> uh, give it to them, I give them credit. They ordered it in kind of a, uh, a marketing type way. They said added a bigger referral incentive for new buyers, otherwise known as a yep. discount. Oh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, go. I mean, the industry is really built on the referral model, right? Everyone's out there, you know, uh, basically bringing in their friends or their acquaintances and then sharing what they've learned. But as it becomes mainstream, I don't know who's going to be the winner out there. Is it going to be uh, right now? We saw that Peterson Dean just partnered with Enphase. I don't know if we're going to cover that today or not, but we saw that uh, uh, Sunrun is is out there making, you know, huge strides, but with huge cost decline acquisition. Uh, and there's some other major uh, national players, too, like, uh, well, I guess, Sonova. And, and guys like that. So, you know, there's um, there's a handful of big players out there. I don't know. It's a it's a tough racket, <laughs> tough racket to try to dominate a national industry in the solar business. But uh, it's, I'm glad to see that Tesla is still being a part of this. There was a point there where it was like, are these guys going to do energy or not? Right? Because they were just losing. Market right. Share no, they basically they basically just dumped dumped everything. I feel sorry for the Solar City guys that came in and then just got <laughs> sidelined. And a yeah. lot of them moved over to the automotive side, but. Mm, a number of them. We, we met a, we met a few who just didn't <laughs> didn't make it. Yeah. Okay. So that is Tesla. What else is exciting happening in the world, Jason? Oh, you want to you want to talk about Tinder? <laughs> uh, you can talk about Tinder. <laughs> What's Tinder? <laughs> What's Tinder? Um, Tinder's an app that you like. Um, anyway, <laughs> PV Magazine uh, is reporting. It's, it's just a simple article. Tinder, except for solar and sheep. <laughs> makes, makes perfect sense to me. So the American Solar Grazing Association, this is a minor nonprofit that I've never heard of, but I, I now know who they are. Uh, the American Solar Grazing Association is seeking um, to connect local um, sheep with um, operating and maintenance companies uh, with regards to solar farms. Now, we've talked about this dual use, um, using um, goats and sheep to clear the land uh, and, and pollinator co- cohabitation, et cetera, et cetera, all these things that you can do once you have a solar farm. Um, but if you want to operate your own sheep farm <laughs> in parallel with your solar farm, that's not, not something a lot of solar engineers want to do. So there's this, this <laughs> disconnect. And they, and, they, and, they, and they want to be able to connect people who do raise goats and sheep and such um, with the people operating the, uh, the solar farms. So this um, ACGA is trying to raise uh, $4,500, that's all, um, to make a website to help connect uh, sheep, local sheep, <laughs> with local solar, and I think it's I think it's a great idea. So this is this, um, they have the imagery on this on this in article is absolutely fantastic. Like the one in the windmill, where there's just this one. It's a giant field, and there's no shade around, but it's the middle of the day, and the sheep are all hot. And so where do they go? They hide in the shade of this one windmill, which is this one one big giant streak across the, the shadow, <laughs> yeah, across the, the shadow the shadow across the field, and they're all in the shadow. Um, but it's actually really cool because the sheep do weird things like they um, that prefer to be out of the sun. So they will go underneath the panels and eat the grass there. Now, that's yeah. the hardest. If you've ever mowed the lawn, you know that trying to get under something is the worst part of the job. And so the sheep are actually doing the hard work for these guys. Even if even if somebody has to come back with a lawnmower and clean up the most the, the, the remainder, the sheep are doing most of the hard work for you. And the sheep herders can can charge a reasonable amount of money uh i've heard it's anywhere between five and eight hundred dollars um per acre oh, okay to, to 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 do this so it's it's pretty significant and and it's a great business model so <laughs> uh well it's going to become more and more uh of a talking point right like how to control vegetation 
uh, and keep those panels performing under larger and larger solar farms, right? And then also there's the discussion, which we're starting to see here in Hawaii, about how do we uh, better serve and better protect the land? We shouldn't, should we dedicate all this land resource simply to power production? Uh, and should we be using it for other things, you know? And so yeah. if we can dual or multi or, you know, a use of the land is a valuable thing just in, in, in terms of people's perceptions and wanting to, you know, uh, honor that land and, and do right by it. And then also if you can reduce the cost, then boom, get a, get a winner there. I see a group. Yeah, forth- there's a bit- Go ahead, Jay. Go ahead. Okay. This this American Solar and Grazing Association is also really on it too because they they've gone through they've they've cited all the research. Um, we talked uh, many many months ago about how a study came out that said this um, groundwater is um, significantly increased uh, the, the soil moisture and and grasses grow ninety four percent more effectively underneath solar farms just because of the microclimate around the the, the ground there. Um, they're also uh, researching how to um, best mix local seed mm. for um, for, poly- for pollinators. Yeah. Um, so so after the after the sheep come through, they give you proper seed seeding to that that will both feed the next time the the sheep or goats come through, mm. and also help with with pollinators in 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 the local area. So they really are doing their due diligence, and I like these guys a lot. Very cool stuff. I will tell you that I got a, a call from a company called Renewbot. And they're basically like mm-hmm. a big Roomba for solar farm uh, uh, O&M, right? So it's like a huge lawnmower sure. that's controlled. And they have some autonomous driving features, and they're talking about special tech. They just started a crowdfunding campaign. And this is not small. It's like in the tens of millions uh, to get this thing off the ground. But I was talking to these guys uh, yesterday. Uh, so maybe okay. there's going to be a competition between sheep and Roombas well, the, <laughs> to the, take control I, of the, these the, the sheep are autonomous, you know. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Roomba Weed Whacker doesn't have any GHG emissions, so I'm waiting for someone to complain about the sheep GHG emissions. Oh, right. Of course you have that, too. <laughs> oh, the, 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 there, are, there are multiple emissions from the sheep, yes. <laughs> okay. Impo- All right. Impossible sheep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let's get out of this one. <laughs> anyway... Um, <laughs> Next up, green green biz. Um, think distributed solar storage isn't cost effective. Think again. Um, this is a big article about they took four places around the country and ran their the numbers through um, the uh, what is it called the the RMI reporting um, section of of the the Federal Energy <laughs> Administration's web web portal, and they found that you can get simple payback on solar plus storage pretty much anywhere in in six to seven years. It really depends on a couple things, um, whether the, you have a time a TOU a time of use uh, model, and really mostly what the legislative um, landscape looks like in these areas. But they picked some areas that were really, really interesting, North Carolina, Ohio, uh, Arizona, South Carolina, um, a couple inland places, a couple coastal places. And and really, I mean, it, it, it doesn't seem to matter too much. You're, you're going to get your payback no matter what. Now, they, granted, this is all commercial. So we're talking about commercial right. solar. Um, but it, it really shows how storage has has kind of come of age at yeah. this point. Yeah, I mean, they did a good job at, at picking these locations that you wouldn't necessarily think. I mean, you, you could certainly say, all right, well, Hawaii, we're going to be able to make this work. It's going to pan out. There's going to be an ROI. Uh, but to show it in all these different locations and be able to, they're looking at things that you, know, you might not think of off the top of your head. Of course, demand charges, like you said. They also talk about some of the uh, uh, other values. I think they call them social values. Uh, uh, climate you know, resiliency for the solar plus storage systems, alleviating some impacts from grid outages. They talk about those kind of less than easy to quantify uh, you know, value props. Yeah, absolutely. And then the grid outage thing was actually interesting because they go into uh, depth on how many storms they've had since 1950s. People were, were keeping records. But not only that, over the last like five to 10 years, just how much that that has increased. So all these all these federal is declared disasters in these areas. Um, recent wildfires in 2013, 2015, it's, it's so many more than, than we've seen in the past. So I think that that's the new world we're living in and storage is gonna help. And, and this is like in places like uh, New Bern, North Carolina, where their, uh, their cost is the fifth cheapest commercial electricity rates in the country, so. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, they're basically yeah, really, really one of their, their just to clap this off, we'll go over to Brian right now in a second, but it no longer makes any sense to say that battery is too expensive is one of their concluding lines. Solar plus storage could be significant missed up investment opportunity for places that don't properly Whoa, what, is, what is it like? It's, it's like a fifth of what it was a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the pricing is about a fifth. Yeah. Storage has come down yeah, to yeah. like 25% of its cost. Uh, not, I don't even know if that was a full decade back, but so it's totally, the, yeah. it's totally changing our assumptions and there's uh, there's opportunity within that. With, Bru- yeah. with like an eight year payback? Or sooner than eight years. Yeah, less than eight years. And then, of course, a variety of benefits in addition to that. So how about we talk a little bit about money, uh, Mr. Uh, Thomas? Sure. Uh, We just had the Davos World Economic Forum with 100-plus billionaires flying in on their jets to tell us how we should (laughs) live. So, uh, (laughs) no, but they they did give some talk about their uh, goal of investing in renewable, and we've heard that before. But, you know, it's become such a big thematic uh, um, topic that, they have to pay attention now. Now, that's in their public statements. We'll see what they do private later. So, but um, there is money going and being invested in renewable. We see it making sense now. We see those sectors, we talked about that being some of the highest performing sectors both last year, uh, 2019, and this year to date. Um, you know, we talked about the ETF, PBW, not a recommendation again, <laughs> but if you look at the strength of that, of any sector, and then you can currently look at how weak fossil fuels are. We're talking crude. Um, exploration and production, and of course, coal, right? I mean, so that contrast between those two shows you that where the money is moving, and that portends to be uh, where the future investment is going to go as well. Gotcha. And so if people want to learn how to make money on this shift, I mean, with the, the was it BlackRock was last week we were talking about Seven that. $7 trillion. I'll tell you what, right after that happened on the weekend, uh, so a, couple, a couple of my friends from different places were talking about how to invest money, how to get their first portfolios set up. And then that conversation came up in, in a thread. And then we all were talking about BlackRock and, and about this change. Because he went to his his money man and the guy said, uh, well, uh, you're going to have to take a, sec- take a, a cut on your expected, expect, expected gains if, yeah. Yeah. And so it was really interesting because I had something to add. See, to it. see, I would disagree with that other investment person. And I mean, that's the beauty of this. We can all uh, choose what we want. But I would say that it offers a better risk reward. Yeah. And, and if you combine that with a systematic process, which is what we use at Fairwinds Wealth Management, uh, it's a good combination, and I'd love to show it to anybody. First so, five callers get uh, <laughs> Impossible Burger. <laughs> All right. How can they reach you? Uh, 808-873-3247 or info at fairwindswealth, F-A-I-R, wins, W-I-N-D-S, wealth.com. Very good, very good. Okay, so we're going to head over to our commercial break. We come back right with, right back with Grove Technologies. Enduro Shield glass protection is the cost-effective way to help protect your PV investment reduce cleaning needs, and help maximize power production. EnduroShield prevents etching, helps reduce soiling and debris buildup. At only two molecules thick, EnduroShield is optically clear, UV transparent. A one-time application provides up to 10 years of durability. To learn more about the coating, visit EnduroShield.com solar. You can request factory application or on-site by certified technicians like the team at Perfectly Clear. In Hawaii and for on-site applications in western U.S., visit PerfectlyClear.glass or call Gary at 808-280-9422. That's 808-280-9422. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system combined photovoltaic and thermal holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. Pantech Design is ushering the world into a new age of home energy automation through the convergence of smart home technologies and renewable energy management. Unifying solar energy production, intelligent energy storage, and smart breaker technologies with smart home devices, Pantech Design's complete home energy automation suite incorporates unprecedented control of lighting, shades, climate, security, hot water, electric vehicle charging, and many other systems. Contact Pantech today at PantechDesign.com. So we're here with Brent Peterson of Grove Technologies. Did I pronounce that correctly? That's correct. Uh, Really excited to get an opportunity to talk about ag in the context of all this new innovations out here at CES. Uh, First ag conversation actually I've had the opportunity to have. So, And this is an area I have to confess, 
is an area of personal kind of interest to me. I geek out with this like new technology that pops out from time to time in Kickstarter. I don't know if you know FarmBot, but it's a fun little toy that I'm dying to get a hold of myself just for my raised garden. But please tell us about Grove Technologies. Please tell us about yourself. Give us a sense of what, what this company does. Sure. Well, Grove Technologies is a fusion of technology and agricultural science to give seeds the perfect day every day, to grow in a, a controlled environment, which gives us the opportunity to give seeds that condition that they can be the most nutritious and optimize all the characteristics of the genes of the seed so that when whether you're feeding animals or whether you're it's produce, you're getting the most and the best that can be created. So that's our goal. And so it really is a fusion of technology and science. We claim to have proprietary technology and science that really comes together to give agriculture a forward path to the complications that are presented to us by climate change, population growth, and so that's really what we're all about. And in the end, what we feel is we can give animals a better nutrition, we can give people better produce, we can give the planet a better environment because we're sustainably producing all these ingredients and all these these new produce and this feed that we're giving to the animals. It's very exciting, you know. I mean, it's exciting on a lot of levels, but I mean, of course, climate change, you know, the, one of the largest contributors to GHGs is the agricultural industry, right? Yeah. Is the, the animal husbandry industry, right? So uh, anytime we can make some, you know, innovation steps there, we're moving in a really positive direction. And then, of course, there's the notion of, uh, you know, having produce produced locally, or not even just locally, but right at the point of consumption, uh, I know as a, as, a, as a hobby farmer that when you, when, you, when you grow something of your own or when it's close to you, the, the quality is, is much better. So yeah. then you can start to cultivate a better understanding of the quality. So you're, you're, you're producing vegetables, I assume, not based on what ships well, yeah. but uh, what is nutritious and what, what tastes best, which is a whole different kind of, and yeah. kind of harkens back to the theme of this show. It's like adding value to our lives across the board. Very exciting stuff. So let's talk a little bit about technology, about some of the innovation steps, and I mean, what are, what are some of the kind of special, what's the special sauce that you can talk about? Well, I, I would tell you that the, the thing that differentiates us from all the other controlled environment is our LED technology. We are able to produce a low heat LED chip that gives the, the photosynthetic radiation to the plant that optimizes that without so much heat that they can't get close enough. And so reduction of energy and reduction of heat and that LED technology really sets us apart from the others. Yeah. Well, energy's a key one, right? Yeah. Because uh, if, you're, uh, if you have huge energy inputs, then your costs are going to yeah. go through the roof and you got to produce that energy yeah. somewhere. So that's a big deal. Well, I see some pretty exciting models here. Can we take a look at some of them yeah. together? Which one do you want to show me first? Well, uh, why don't we start with the pod? Okay. Here is a, a tenth scale replica of a larger machine that grows wheatgrass and barley grass for animal feed. And so this, this machine will produce, on average, um, approximately the equivalent of 50 to 100 acres of land. That on, a, on a daily basis, we get out two tons of wheatgrass out of this machine. And this is really miraculous when you think it's think of what's going on inside this because of the LED technology that's inside here and the robotics the watering and everything in seven days we get a stand about eight inches tall and it comes out fresh no soil or anything it's that wheat that root mat of the wheatgrass is all blended in with the total mixed uh, ration of the the animal feed and really gives the animal that fresh um, fodder, we call it high density nutrients, that really optimizes their ability to produce high quality milk. Now this is, this is pretty amazing to look at. What was the scale you said? It's a tenth scale. So what you're seeing here is basically 20 feet, 25 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and a footprint. It's about equivalent to... A trade show booth? <laughs> a little bit more. It's about equivalent to 15,000 cubic feet, if okay. you can imagine that. Okay. And then uh, it goes through uh, this process on a seven days, so it feeds robotically down here. The seeds are 
fed into these trays, and the trays run through uh, this helix for seven days, and then comes out the other side, as I said, eight inches tall. And then it's mixed into the total extraction, so it's robotically. So helix, so is it traveling? It's traveling, it's traveling upwards, and then across, across as you can see. And then it comes down the other side, and then it comes out here fully grown. And then that rolls onto a conveyor, which goes out. In our, our facility at the Bateman Dairy in, in Utah, which is the largest, they, they feed um, 7,500 milking cattle, uh, cows every day. Using this system? Uh, we're in the process of uh, feeding cows right now, not the whole herd, because this is, won't produce enough for that many cattle, for that many cows. And so we have a facility out there that has six of these machines presently, and we're uh, expanding in as we go forward over the next uh, quarter. I'd like to see that. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite interesting. You're welcome to come to Vineyard Utah. We have a uh, we certainly have a, a reputation for taking people up on those uh, those trips. So don't be surprised <laughs> if we show up knocking at your door one of these days. Uh, very uh, very interesting stuff. So let's say you're a you're a you're in the dairy industry. You have a, a farm, and then you're currently using a traditional model. What does it look like? Do you, do you map out well, the economics for the businessmen? Do you, how do you do that? One of the key propositions for a dairyman is, is, and especially in various parts of the world, the climate and whether they have adequate waters and whether they have consistent water and whether the climate, the heat, the, the cool, all those variables factor into whether it's economical or not. So if you can't grow because you're flooded out or you don't have the water, it's very economical, obviously, because you're getting feed that you couldn't otherwise produce. So, but in some areas of the country where you have great weather and great water supplies and everything, the economics are a little bit different. But, you know, when you look at the stress of the land, the stresses on water, and in like in California or where it's very finite, the amount of land, say up in British Columbia in the Fraser Valley, where it's very, the land is so expensive they can't expand. So you put this feed machine, you know, as I said earlier, it's equivalent to, you know, 50 to 100 acres of annual production. And you can keep this thing running all year long. So you're not forced to, to feed your cattle and your, and your cows, because it feeds beef cattle as well as dairy, dairy cows. Um, on a on just in the spring when you have your harvest and you then you dry it out and feed them you know the dry forage of the rest of the season they're getting fresh grass every day and so that's the really differentiator economically and then we're studying the effects of the on the animal and it's too early to talk about some of those things because we haven't been through scientific reviews we have laboratories in our facilities that are examining the quality of the of the product the quality of the milk the quality of the of the um, the, the high density nutrient that's coming out. So we're gathering all that data to, to, to analyze. But early on, and anecdotally, in dairy been feeding fodder for the last decade, you know, fresh grass in some form or another. And they see um, benefits to the cow's health, benefits to reproduction, benefits to the quality of the milk. But specific data is still too early for us, but, but all the signs point to really benefiting the dairyman. So you've got a value proposition in uh, land use, which is huge yeah. now, especially yeah. in the energy industry. Uh, we talk about that a lot. You have a value proposition in water use, yeah. probably some greater efficiencies there, and then also energy yep. uh, is, a, is a core part of the conversation. And now we just talked about nutri nutrient density and the, where that might go in the future yeah. for the quality of the products uh, that are kind of you know going through the system. A lot of value propositions there, very interesting stuff. Is there anything else you'd like to add to the conversation before we wrap it up? Do you want to show us what's going on over there? Sure, uh, this, this, um, this operation is what we call a Grove Cube, and it, um, it will grow about um, 100 acres of produce, depending on whatever, um, is that right? You have to edit that, it's not as quite, it's one acre, one acre, one, excuse me, one acre per, per cube. And this is just a demo cube right here, so it's a smaller, if you think of a shipping container that's, you know, 52 feet or whatever, 47 feet I think is the size we're working with, and this mechanism runs and it's self-water, all robotic, and then they harvest this fresh produce. And then when you talked earlier about locality, having that 
fresh produce right next to the store, right next to the consumer where you're not having to have that 15,000 or 1,500 mile journey with that lettuce. You pick it, put it in a box, and you're throwing 40% of it away before it hits the shelf. And, and there in Hawaii, you're, I mean, you have great produce in Hawaii, so you don't really have, a, have an issue. But in some other areas of the country where you're having to ship all that produce, it's, it's dying on the way. I can tell you that there's some nasturtiums right there. Uh, I, I personally uh, did not grow up in Hawaii, yeah. and so I went through this experience of learning what good quality yeah. produce was over the course of the last 10 years. Uh, being able to identify plants and then being able to understand that they, when you grow them closely, you know, under care, careful conditions, you can, you can create something that tastes way different, yeah. way better, right? Uh, pretty remarkable. So this is an acre equivalent. Yeah, yeah this is just, this is a small, uh, demonstration cube so you can't equate it to a, a full acre this is just a, a piece of a, a, like I said a, a shipping container gotcha and it shows the mechanism and everything but it grows the different varieties of lettuce and greens microgreens that kind of thing for human consumption Got it. so that's the other part of our controlled environment story controlled environment agriculture story because you're dealing with reduced water you're dealing with the climate you're dealing with all those kind of stresses that are hitting agriculture right now and we're helping to solve those problems plus energy transportation you know you're thinking about shipping whether this is like the pods on the farm you're not having to ship in china for example they have to in saudi arabia they're growing lettuce in the or growing hay in the united states and putting it on a boat to feed their dairy cattle in china and in Saudi Arabia because they can't grow it over there. And so having local production and fresh local production is a key differentiator and a value proposition for our, our partners. You can be a part of the, um, the, the food production industry in China, probably got a bright future ahead. Uh, so this has been great speaking yeah. with you, Brent. I really appreciate your time. Brent uh, Peterson from yeah. Grove Technologies. Uh, maybe we'll get you on air one of these days. Maybe we'll visit your farms in okay. Utah and yeah. get a chance Come to see out. it firsthand. Oh, well, good. now you got me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll see you. All right, Brent's a cool guy. And uh, Grove was, you, you know, it was pretty visual when you go into that booth uh, at CES. You know, you basically have these these models of these almost city block size kind of farms, vertical farms that would uh, take about seven days of a grow period, you know, to get this really nutrient-dense uh, produce out of it, whether it's for livestock or for, for human consumption. They also had that, uh, the second one we looked at was more of something you'd have in a shipping container. And, you know, it's these rotating trays and there's all this food that you know, like all the stuff you would buy and have it right there in your city as opposed to shipping it all around the world. And we know from our experience in the maritime exploration that the GHG of maritime are pretty nasty, and uh, so this is a you know a cool solution to agriculture. Not to mention you know yeah, it's, uh, it's, the land too, land issue. It, it seems to me it's like the very the, the next step up from the the rooftop garden craze that was all oh, over right. a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Um, but but it really really makes sense to be able to put something up there that will maximize your footprint. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and what excites me about this is that you have the opportunity. Not only is it a good, you know, good climate change kind of uh, uh, approach, uh, but it's also you get better quality food. He talked about higher nutrient density food. He was talking about livestock, of course, and the, the feed stock. But the the opportunity to really control the the environment where food is produced, not be uh, subject to weather and water issues. You're also minimizing water inputs. There's a lot of a lot of neat opportunities here. It'd be, it's really cool. going to be cool to see some studies done on this and how the, what the impact looks like. Okay, now let's jump over to the really fun one. Uh, this is Impossible Foods. Got a chance to talk to the scientists. I will tell you there was, uh, we've been um, having an interesting evening uh, at this uh, event where they're launching the pork um, katsu and all these great other things. So it's a bit of a lively. Not, not pork. <laughs> it's a bit of a lively event. Let's check it out. Okay, so I'm here with Dr. Celeste. I'm going to take a shot at it. Ready? Holtz-Scheitinger. 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 Okay, got it. And Bubba Impossible Foods from Redwood City, California. Uh, very excited to talk to you to understand what it is we've been trying and eating. There's about five or six different uh, products here. The pork banh mi, the pork char siu buns, the pork dan dan noodles, the pork katsu, pork shumai, pork sweet, sour, and numbing meatballs, all kinds of good stuff. I've tried two or three of them. They're fantastic. Um, we do a, a, a show about, uh, about the new energy economy, about all things that uh, impact this transition into this new kind of era. And of course, animal husbandry uh, is a huge impact on GHGs. 
uh, we're very, and I'm really excited to see some solutions. So tell me all about what you do. I work at Impossible Foods. I'm the director of research, and I create plant-based meats so that we can replace the most destructive industry on the planet, which is animals used to create food. Now, just to refresh my memory, if you would, where, where, where does the animal meat industry, where does the meat industry rank in that GHG? Is it something like two or three after power? Do you know off the top of your head? Because it's not in my mind. Animal agriculture is number one in not, destruction as well as it is equal to slightly more than planes, trains, automobiles, spaceships, and equal in global emissions. Interestingly enough, I understand that transportation just surpassed power production in GHG emissions uh, contribution percentage-wise. So you're saying that uh, the animal husbandry, if I could use that term, uh, phrase industry is is actually more than transpo. Correct. It's number one animal agriculture. Well, that's huge. That's huge. Uh, so what you're doing here has significant impact, has a potential, especially when we just listened to 20, 30 minutes of a presentation in the beginning here before we get, we were all very excited to try it. It was a great strategy, by the way. And, um, you know, of course, uh, talking about a, a country like China with a billion plus with a, with a, with a, with a, uh, a meat appetite, uh, there's an opportunity here to make a significant impact. Have you looked, I, I got loads of questions for you, I hope you don't mind, but have you looked at what type of impact a, I'll call it an undecipherable, an indistinguishable product from meat could have on, on this kind of conversation? If we could today eliminate every single animal used for food, we would be able to turn back climate change. So if we could today remove every single... Yeah, I got goosebumps, I just interrupted you, sorry. Uh, that's amazing, turn back climate change. Turn back climate change. So how fast can we create products that are delicious, nutritious, and really get people to stop eating the animal and start eating delicious plants? We can start making the biggest impact of anything on our planet and climate change. That's huge, and you know, I really I found it uh, so uh, to the point when one of the maybe the founder or the CEO, whoever was speaking up there, said, "Hey, people love the taste profile, people love the protein content, people love a lot of things about meat, but no one loves the technology that slaughters animals. No one loves." Uh, you know, the fact that animals are, are in these kind of conditions and no one loves the GHG emissions that are contributing to the problems with climate change. So uh, I thought that was a very straightforward, easy to understand, digestible piece that I, I really loved, you know. Uh, so tell us a little bit about some of the technology, if you would, what's happening that's different here. Uh, it, it's great, I'm trying it. I, I, I'm, I, as we're talking, we're gonna maneuver, I wanna make sure I get up on me. Hang on a second, keep talking. That's, what, that's a bow. In, in terms of what we have here and how we created port, is we try to understand meat at a molecular level and understand each thing that drives each sensory experience. What drives and creates that juicy mouthfeel, what creates the flavor of port, and as we figure that out, we figure out what plants create those same experiences. So we've recombined all of those ingredients, technologies to create the delicious experience of port from plants. I can't see this obviously, but I took a bite while you were talking because I wanted to really feel, I just basically wanted to eat it, but that was really interesting what you were saying. There's an exploration into, the, into, the, into plants to try to understand what mirrors or what kind of reflects the characteristics that people enjoy in meats. Did I hear that correctly? Exactly. How do we capture the same sensory experiences that consumers love in meat, but from plants, so that we can remove the destruction on the planet and the negative consequences on people's health? Amazing. Now, I'll tell you what, we're a little bit of a geeky show. We're really unabashedly geeky, we've been called. So that being said, if we could explore maybe one of the the the, 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 the meats or the the um, what do you call them? The, what do, meat? We're plant-based meat. Plant-based meats. Let's say, for example, pork, which is that's the launch tonight, right? 
So that being said, what, give me a sense of what that challenge looked like to, from a technological perspective, from a research perspective. What can you tell me about what you discovered without going into IP and, and proprietary stuff? Tell me a little bit about that, that process or that arc of, of, of learning and understanding. I've been with the company and from the beginning and we've been really trying to understand meat at molecular level for the last eight years. Understanding what drives the flavor of beef, pork, chicken, fish, what creates juicy chew down, the raw handling of meat, beef, pork. And as we figured out how we create these different textures, these different flavors, we recombine to create the product of pork. Some of the really key aspects of pork is the juiciness, is the fatty mouth coating. And in terms of flavor, it's actually a bit subtle, but that subtlety, it has a lot of fat flavor and umami. It carries the flavors of spices really well, your ginger and your garlic to create that an overall umptious, delicious experience. Ah, now this is interesting, this is interesting. So there's a, there's probably a component here, oh my goodness, I didn't try this yet. There's probably, I'm, I'm reaching, as we're talking, I'm reaching for the, what looks like a pork katsu to me. Um, uh, there's a component of this, of this exploration that's related to the, the texture and how it interacts with your mouth. Uh, I heard uh, en enveloping your mouth with like a, a, a fatty kind of, uh, a great carrier of flavor. Those are some of the things that you discovered in pork that were that, that allowed you to kind of uh, mirror the flavor profile. That's uh, I don't know what to say. It's just really interesting to think that you're at that level, your molecular level, when you're just when you're when you're researching this product development. Exactly. So on the flavor side, one of our key discoveries for meat flavor is that a molecule called heme. It's what makes our blood right red in color. We discovered creates the flavor of meat. The metallic flavor that you maybe think of in your tartars, but upon cooking, it will keep create your beef flavors, and in a slightly lower concentration with slightly different nutrients, you can create the flavor of pork. So you identify, uh, a, did you call it a molecule? A molecule called heme. Heap, H-E-E-P, H-E-A-P? H-E-M-E. H-E-M-E, heme, sounds like hemoglobin. Uh, okay, so you, uh, this is, is this related to the MSG discussion or something, I mean, in terms of how there's a craving for this kind of, I don't know, this, 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 this type of, uh, of product? It probably does have a craving for it. A nutrient that's always kind of been limiting is iron. Heme is the most bioavailable form of uh, iron. And what we've discovered creates all flavors of meat. Really that amazing, full flavor of beef, and also the subtlety and those delicious flavors in pork. It's actually what creates the flavor of chicken and fish as well. Wow, so you find this foundational building block of meat flavor called heme, and then from there you, you, you nurture it into a, a product, a, a, a plant-based meat, I think you called it, uh, that, that is m kind of marching towards being undistinguishable from actual meat. Exactly, and so that platform of flavor, we need a vehicle, all the textural aspects. How do we have the right chew down, that juiciness, and those- Did you say chew down? Chew down, how you chew down the food and it, it breaks down into it. We try to figure out every one of those sensory experiences. How do you recreate it? Your eyes are also important. How does it look? And when you chew it or when you put it on a grill, does it sizzle? Do you hear it correctly? Every one of those sensory experiences, we figure out at the molecular level, what are the ingredients that make that sensory experience? Uh, pretty fascinating, pretty fascinating. I mean, you're not, you're not just bringing together mung beans and a bunch of plants to, 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 to put something in a form that looks like meat. You're, you're really starting from a perspective of uh, what is it people enjoy about meat and then isolating those different characteristics. You just mentioned visual, you mentioned uh, uh, the, the textural, of course taste is a comp uh, component. Uh, wow, it's just, uh, it's pretty fascinating. I didn't realize we were going that in depth, you know? Well, what's on the horizon for impossible Possible foods. Uh, 
I guess, chicken, steak, what's coming on down the road? So right now we're showcasing pork. We will have our sausage showcased in the market with Burger King at the end of this month. So you're the impossible Whopper. Oh, get out of here. Yes. That's amazing. I've been saying to my daughter, I have to go down there and try the impossible Whopper. I haven't gotten around to it. But so you're, you're linking up and you're creating partnerships with organizations that are, have massive distribution and it seems to be holding quite well. It's been doing amazing and really hitting the meat eater, which is our target market. Is that the first time that's ever happened? Uh, I would say at this scale, yes. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. And, and, and like I said, it just from, I'm a meat eater. I mean, like for sure, I'm a meat eater. And I, I heard that and I thought to myself, I have to go try it. So that was kind of my initial impulse in my mind. All right. Uh, so that's, that's pretty amazing. Well, Are we in there, fellas? Very good. <laughs> so Jason, what'd you think about that Impossible uh, Foods interview? Well, you just keep talking with your mouth full. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I told you it was quite a lively event. You had a couple hundred uh, reporters that have been in there enjoying the free uh, uh, libations. You, I mean, for... <laughs> you are the only one who's actually tried it, though. I mean, so at this point, what do you what do you what do you think of all this stuff? <laughs> I think it's amazing. I, I think it's kind of like a little spooky, basically, because you you okay. look you, you look at I, you know, and, and of course they give me license to go and try a bunch of fast food after this, right? So I'm like, I'm doing research <laughs> at yeah. the airport. I ate the uh, the, the the like the hamburger and then um of course like i said yesterday i tried the uh the minute stop um meatloaf and yeah it's just extremely close to uh to meat and i did notice there's a couple of things they give you a spec sheet right i love spec sheets so you know, you're looking at exactly what the ingredients are and then after kind of layering in that context of her dis discussion of how it's been created you know there's a higher sodium count than typical meat at least in the pork products the ones i saw this interesting before. um but it looks okay. like there's a lower fat count lower amount of fat and mm -hmm. so what I notice is after you eat a burger, uh, you just don't feel quite as heavy. Right. And fat's not the enemy, by the way. But Right. So, yeah. And I'm not making any qualitative you know, judgments on if that's good or bad, those, those characteristics. But, <laughs> but it is – that was what I noticed basically when I ate it. You know? and then, but the, the, the kind of spooky part is when you look at the burger and you, you open it up and it looks kind of red. Like it's like there's blood in there. And you're like, what right. is that? Is that what heme looks <laughs> it's, like? It's, I mean, it's heme juice. <laughs> it's heme juice. <laughs> heme nice. juice. Really interesting well, stuff. I mean, the, basically the only other option we have at this point though is, is the laboratory-grown meat. I mean I've been following that story for quite a while as well and this is this is originally they had just like what looked like that old, old strip steak used to get in the freezer yeah. remember that stuff uh, <laughs> make steak and cheese um right. those it looked like that they've they've come a long way with that stuff and actually have been making things that that really have a texture because that was the problem before they had a massive texture problem it was more like more like rubber <laughs> i think that's what she meant by was, the chew down was, right the, that yeah, the feeling yeah. of when you, you bite into it and what is that so you know why do we talk about this well i mean there's uh, the the livestock industry. First of all, it's there's all these concerns in there, but huge impact on uh, our climate, huge impact on uh, uh, greenhouse gas inputs. So there's an opportunity here to do something very differently, and it is good. So far, we can tell. I'm, I'm, I want to know about the the health, the qualitative kind of health, you know, state of this stuff, right? How does it impact your health? Yeah. <laughs> so hey, folks, uh, thanks for joining us on a, uh, a a new type of solar coaster here talking about food. Uh, we are sponsored by Fairwinds Wealth Management, by Enduro Shield and Perfectly Clear Glass, a bunch of other great companies. Uh, wonderful, have a wonderful weekend and Aloha Friday. <laughs>